G'day. Welcome. Let me walk you through one of the most amazing historical accounts about Jesus that's recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. Let's pause here. Notice how their plea is based on how much Jesus loved their brother. Not on how much their brother loved Jesus. Sometimes we think it all depends on how huge our love is for Jesus. It's no wonder we feel like failures at times. Sometimes we, we get it back to front. Jesus loves us first. And we go on. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the day time will not stumble. For they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Again, just pause there on that, our friend Lazarus. The Christian faith is always relational first. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus reminds his disciples again that he's after a relationship first. He says, but I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. You know, our vertical and horizontal relationships matter. They really do. Let's go off the story. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Pause at that. Mary went... Mary Martha went, but Mary stayed. You see, I paused there because there's no set template on how we should each respond 
to deep grief. God has wired each of us in different ways. Years ago, a friend tragically lost his daughter. And just a few days later, he wanted to have a bat and a bowl down at the cricket nets. So off we went. But you see, it took his mind off his indescribable pain for a short time. Martha went, Mary stayed. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Grief and hope, the point of tension for every believer. The white hot pain of deep grief versus the flickering light of hope. Martha, the battered soul, who also happens to be a friend of Jesus. Here is the life of faith in its fullest reality. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now Jesus begins to fan her flickering light of hope. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, it's resurrection first, then life. A Christian is someone who's had a heart resurrection experience with Jesus. And this experience changes the pathway of their life. You know, in John's Gospel, makes, Jesus makes seven incredible I am statements throughout this account, the Gospels of John. For example, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd, as Rick highlighted last week in his message. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. Get your life from me, then I'll live in you and you will give much fruit. I highlight this because only God can make these incredible claims. And Jesus performed amazing miracles in public view to authenticate his claims. That's why later on the Apostle Paul writes, For Christ is not only God-like, he is God in human flesh. Back to the story. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly and, and went to him. 
Then Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The verb used here has the root meaning to snort like a horse when it is becoming agitated. One version says a deep anger welled up within him. Another version says he became enraged in the spirit. So at this point, Jesus is becoming angry. Why? Because he sees all the grief, the suffering and sorrow that has been pushed onto these pain-filled people. This is not what his heavenly father had intended for his creation back in the Genesis account. That's why he's angry. Years ago, I was traveling um, through a forest area down in Gippsland, which for those who are watching Church at Home and maybe from other parts of Australia, it's a couple hundred kilometers down from Melbourne. I was driving through the forest area and I was on a back road. It's hardly used. It's a little narrow back road going through the forest and through paddocks and a windy road. I was just driving along, cruising along slowly through this back road came round a bend and there was a car wrapped around a gum tree and it obviously just happened because all the bodies that were in the car were splattered around outside the car that had obviously been thrown out on impact. When I pulled up and got out, I realised they were all young blokes and here they were in various stages of distress um, some were crying, some looked like they were lapping, lapsing in and out of consciousness, others looked in shock, and they're just yeah, greatly distressed. So here we are out in these back, back roads. So as we waited for the police and the ambulance to come from whatever country town that they were coming from, uh, of course you just comfort them and uh, just just have a presence with them. But I can remember standing there thinking, this is not the way it's meant to be. I'm agitated because I'm thinking, young men are not supposed to be wrapping themselves around trees and being in this stage of distress that's facing them and the families back home. Jesus was agitated with the situation. He was angry about the situation. We go on. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This deep and, com and compassion, this deep care and compassion of Jesus is 
is revealed by these two words. Jesus wept. We see that soul-to-soul connection with his friends that reduces him to tears. He steps into Mary's deep grief and just weeps with her. One sign that the Holy Spirit is gently and slowly rebuilding you on the inside to be more like Jesus is when you sometimes weep for other people's pain. It's called the ministry of tears. We go on. Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Whack. There's always critics somewhere. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. One version says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, probably with tears running down his face. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's there's a bad odour. For he's been dead four days. This is the second time that John, the writer of this gospel account, records that Jesus has been dead for four days. Why is that? He's wanting to make sure that all future readers of this historical account get it, that Lazarus was absolutely dead, not asleep, not in a trance, dead. As dead as a politician's promise of no new taxes. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. They may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice because it was huge crowd and lots of wailing and weeping and so on. So he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth ran his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. Lazarus! Come out! He came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes with a cloth round his face.
untie him and let him go. Let me follow up with this for you. What did Lazarus do with the rest of his life? Did he live a life full of faith and hope in Jesus? We don't know. One time, Jesus raised a synagogue ruler's only daughter back to life. What did she do with the rest of her life? Did she live a life full of faith and hope in Jesus? We don't know. Another time, Jesus raised a widow's only son back to life. What did he do with the rest of his life? Did he live a life full of faith and hope in Jesus? We don't know. Jesus is calling each of us by name to a life beyond this long, long pandemic cave. This pandemic season will end. So, in your new season, what will you do with the rest of your life? Will you live a life full of faith and hope in Jesus? I don't know what your response will be. But I do know that Jesus is calling you beyond this really tough season. Think about what he said throughout gospel, the Gospel of John. I am your bread of life. I am your light in this world. I am your gate. I am your good shepherd. I am your resurrection and life. I am your way to truth and life. I am your vine, he says. So what healthy habits and life choices do you need to take going forward? As you actively respond to the supernatural promises of Jesus and take those small steps out of your cave, allow the grave clothes of fear or anxiety or disappointment or insecurity or loss of relationships and community or loss of dreams or of lost opportunities or fatigue to be removed from you. Your first step, your first step of response may be to um, step towards checking out the claims of Jesus. Alpha Online would be a great start. Or step towards finding a local church or Bible study group. Check them out. Or step towards getting appropriate medical or counselling help. Or step towards finding a new job or a new career. Or step towards finding a relevant training or retraining program. Or step towards finding new friends who build you up in tough times. You know, we, we follow a supernatural God. His name is Jesus. And he's calling you towards something greater than your current circumstances. You are alive. You have been called. Step out of your cave. Amen. I'll see you soon.